the AIs now are not supposed to, you know, spread misinformation. They're not supposed to help you do bad things. There are definitely more guardrails in place than, you know, before. It's it, But it is very much the wild, wild west. And the one key difference, the really big important thing to remember is that this is, if ever there was a situation of the genies out of the bottle on a global level where we're all in this together, like the bad guys, the bad actors, the what we call the black hat hackers have access to this technology and they are not following the rules. Welcome to a movement of kindness and empathy. You're listening to Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast. Embarking on a mission to unite our city under the banner of compassion, we're one among 440 cities around the globe standing together to build a more compassionate world. Now introducing the man leading the charge, your host, Will Rucker. Welcome to Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast. I'm Will Rucker, and I am so excited about this episode. You have no idea. So this is actually our second time talking. And you know what they say, second time's the charm. I've got Lisa Flynn here with me. We're going to talk about generative AI. We're going to talk about hacking humans. And I mean, just stick around. It's going to be a great episode. So welcome to the podcast, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me, Will. I am super excited for this conversation as well. And just love what you're doing with Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast. Yeah, well, thank you so much. Before we even get into the content, I just have to say, I have been just so, I don't even have the words for it. I've been thrilled. I've been excited. I've been honored, just impressed, inspired by what you do, who you are as a human, and the contributions you're making right here in Las Vegas in such a short time. Oh, that is like the best thing that you, that anyone could ever say to me. Thank you. And I have literally felt such, um, a welcoming just sense of family, especially within. I'm lucky enough to be in Compassionate Las Vegas and in the Jameson Fellowship. And that's where we, of course, met. Um, and y'all have just been such an awesome family to allow me to really spin around um, in a collective impact sort of way um, to do everything I can to make my home um, a better place. It's already pretty fantastic, but, you know, there's always work to do. That's right. Iteration. That's what I, I yeah. like to look at. So, all right, well, let's dive right in. I want to set the foundation of the podcast with a definition of compassion. So I want to hear from you what that word means. So to me, compassion is is action, right? So it's empathy and action. So I know that we always talk about the, you know, the, the little meme of sympathy versus empathy where you're like in the circle. And then compassion is actually, I think, rolling up your sleeves to help solve a problem for someone so that it won't be a problem for anyone. Yeah, that action part I think is so critical. I spent a lot of time, for lack of a better term, defending compassion because people feel like, oh, that's just woo-woo stuff. Oh, it's so soft. Oh, it doesn't get anything done. You know, we, we need action. I'm like, well, compassion is the driving force of action. So I love Scarlett Lewis with the Choose Love because she actually made that part of their saying is, is compassion in action, just to be super clear about it. Yeah, it's a courageous word to me. It's a, I mean, compassion to me is not soft at all. It is the sort of like Joan of Arc, like charging forward, you know, Tina Turner and um, Mad Max. Like this is, it, it's definitely an action word. But the, Absolutely. So. 1,000%. So. Or the doers, the catalysts, as we say. 
Yeah, it, it's it's not one of the, the easier things to be. It should be easy, but in the world that we live in, it actually is becoming increasingly more difficult. And that's my little segue into the topic of hacking humans, because everything we see on social media, on broadcast media, even in pop culture, is designed intentionally to spur an emotional response. And of course, how do you hook humans? You tap into our fear center, you tap into our anger and get us riled up because then we're passionate about stuff. So let's talk about it. We've got social engineering happening on a scale like never before. You just got back from some conferences about it. You are the expert. Talk to us. Well, again, I'm so excited to be having this conversation because we need to be making this more, uh, we need to be demystifying AI and technology. So for starters, let's just lay out some, some definitions to make sure that we're all on the same page. So social engineering is basically the manipulation of someone to get them to do something that they wouldn't have otherwise done. Okay. So in some circles, we call that marketing. <laughs> that's so true. <laughs> well, if you think about it, that's the same thing, even in terms of like planting a seed that like, oh, I didn't know that I had this problem. And now it's a big problem and I need to go buy things to, you know, make that problem go away. So that's basically marketing. So social engineering comes on that um, and it's been able to happen quite a bit more, obviously, with social media because we're just putting out so much more information about ourselves. Right. So sometimes social engineering is like looking through someone's social feed and learning what their dog's name is or their kid's name or the year they were born or married or any of those things to get like common password type things. But on the more active side of social engineering, uh, it, it can be like people People that are running psychology operations or psyops or social engineering, kind of the black hats, like the, the bad actors, will literally try to push you into a, an altered mental state. Um, so, for example, sending the uh, Facebook message, I saw this one go around. It's like, oh, um, there was a fatal accident and someone you know was involved. And you so as a person, we go mm. and we click before we think. Right. And, and so even with all the training that we've had and we know not to click on suspicious links. Sometimes the things can be tricky like that. Now, if you want to be, if a social engineer wants to target someone specifically, they would look back into their past and they would understand better, like what, um, what might make them, what might trigger them essentially. So for me, um, it's not a secret. And I've been uh, vocal about it on social media that my dad was killed by a reckless driver on his motorcycle. Um, so if somebody wanted to push me into an altered state to basically to get me to make a mistake, essentially, yeah. like like Iceman and Top Gun, right? He like wears, he's ice cold, he wears you down until you make a mistake and then he strikes. That That's what it is. So, and with the amount of information, again, that we're, that we're making readily available on social media, um, that's that's really easy to do. And these social engineering campaigns happen not only online, but they can also breach into the physical realm. So, you know, if you've seen the, the show Terms and Conditions May Apply, um, which is a really great one to see in terms of like how much this, you know, social media is, is collecting and why it's so dangerous. Um, but they talk about uh, vishing, which is a form of, you know, everyone's familiar with the phishing, the pH phishing with email scam. So vishing is voice phishing. So oh, it's yeah. people actually call and say, hey, uh, this was actually a competition at DEF CON this year that I took part in. Um, and we have like, we're, I'm a, what's known as a white hat hacker or an ethical hacker. And so we do take the hackers, you know, Hippocratic oath where we do no harm. We don't use fear as a tactic. 
but just to show, to demonstrate how vulnerable people really are. Um, we had this cold call, you know, competition and my objective was to call, uh, and I didn't know who we were going to be calling. Somebody in the booth handles all that. Um, I'm in a soundproof booth. There's about, you know, 500 people or so in the room watching, uh, and heads up the phone rings and a, um, franchise, uh, let's just say it was a, um, it's a retail franchise open or answered the phone. And I had to get three objectives from them, um, without using fear or whatever. And it was things like what, um, internet browser do you use? Uh, do you use multi-factor authentication? What's your incidence response? And so it's easy enough to call. And there's lots of, um, on, on YouTube, there's, there's lots of examples of this where you can call and basically say like, Hey, I'm calling from corporate. Uh, and we're just checking up to make sure everything's fine. And people will just give you the information. Like it's, it, it's kind of crazy that way. So it, it's happening everywhere. Um, and I think your next question is going to be about generative AI. So we want to talk yeah, about. Before we get there, though, I'm, I'm still back at vishing and fishing and all of this. So, you know, I'm, I'm still young. At least I like to consider sure. myself to be. Y'all aren't we all? Well. <laughs> I'm young at heart. And uh, at, at work, though, in the early days, they would send us through these modules for like, don't click on suspicious links and, you know, all of these, uh, I guess, training protocol that in many ways are still as relevant today as they were 20 years ago. And I'm just wondering though, with the increase in information available, because one thing that I see is people answering these quizzes, talking about the street they grew up on, their Disney first pet name, all of these things. And it's like, you're literally giving folks access to your life story that they can then use against you for these manipulation tactics. And now with the voice synthesizers or, or whatever you call it, you're having people make phone calls with that person's actual voice, knowing their history. So even the most diligent person who's like, okay, well, tell me where you grew up just so I can make sure it's really you. Even that person could be fooled because the information is just out there. Absolutely. And I apologize for my graceful cat who just jumped down. That was not an earthquake. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> background. Um, yes. So this is exactly what is happening now with generative AI, um, which basically just means it's AI that creates content. Okay. So, uh, and what you're referring to in terms of like understanding your voice and knowing how you'd respond are deep faith. And so that applies to not only your voice, but now also your, your image. So um, with you, my friend, with all the podcasts that you uh, post, someone has enough information basically that they could essentially create a digital twin for you that you may or may not be aware of ha is is actually operating in the world so uh, in that like literally you could someone could create a deep fake of you that they would have you reach out to someone say i want you to be on my podcast you would appear on the screen just as you're appearing to me right now you would sound like you you would act like you you would have the same like mannerisms because it was all taken from you and then it's it's manipulated you know when it hits the screen so we are now 100 percent in this territory where we can't trust what's on our screens anymore we literally cannot believe what we see and what we hear so i, I want to go into that a little bit because there's they're still on strike uh the actors and writers strike and yep. one of the points of contention was they the big industry wanted to take a scan of extras 
and use them in perpetuity. Like we got your scan, we'll just make you do whatever we want. And that for me is half horrifying, half exhilarating. Because I'm like, okay, cool. Scan me one time. I no longer have to show up for the podcast. <laughs> like, it's right? done. But also, I'm like, what do they need me for now? Because if you can just generate my likeness and my voice and my thought pattern, because that's what it, it gets. It's like, well, how do you frame your words? One thing I say a lot, a lot is so. That's kind of my like thing. I'm like, so. You know, so they just throw that in there every now and again. It's like, oh, that's Will because he said so. I don't know. I, Lisa, I'm just going to be honest. I'm I'm sitting here. We had this conversation once and, and the tech gods were like, nope, not putting it out yet. They're doing it again. And I'm still like, this is this is a lot. And there's the rub, right? It is a lot. Uh, and just like with any coin, you know, there are two sides. And so it is equally exhilarating and absolutely terrifying. I mean, that's that's the reality of the situation. Um, more so because we are now a culture that has been like indoctrinated into this predictive analytics. So like mm -hmm. the last for the last 10 to 15 years, 15, I guess, 15 to maybe 20 now, um, you know, social media has been getting to know us. Right. So that it can predict what we, we might want. So we call this predictive analytics like and, and that's used for good, too. So like even with you know, Google searches or uh, alerts, like it can start to say, well, if you're interested in A and B, you're probably going to be interested in C too. So we're going to serve this up to you in your feed. So on one hand, that's good. It cuts through, like there's so much information out there for us. Like I don't need to make all the culling decisions. Like if I could just get like, you know, three to five options and go from there, that'd be great. That really cuts down on the mental load. Um, so in that way, it's good. In the way that it's bad is that what it has done is like literally over time and on a large scale has reduced our ability as humans to think critically. Okay. So what is the antidote to all this? Critical thinking. If we could just, and we need to be teaching that in our schools, in our homes, in our, you know, religious centers, in like everywhere, we need to bring that critical thinking to the humans because that's what makes us different. Critical thinking, including situational awareness, uh, so that we can establish trust uh, and creativity. Those are the things that the robots will, won't be able to take away from us for a very long, I mean, maybe a hundred years. Like, I don't want to say never, but we don't see that happening in the next like generation or two, right? Well, you said a big word, which is trust. And I mm -hmm. think that's at the heart of this conversation for me. I've spent my life choosing to trust people and choosing to have positive intent or assume positive intent and choosing to act kindly. And now with this just limitless force available for, for good, but also that could literally destroy society that is in many ways destroying society. It, it is degrading trust because, I mean, I just watched an episode, I won't mention the politician, but he said, oh, that they misquoted me. And then they pull out the clip like, well, here's the clip. But now, and, and I know that, that he was being disingenuous when he said he was misquoted. But now you can say, well, that was generative AI. AI that wasn't me. So how do we in this hacking humans moment, this social engineering 
swore Ray, like, how do we still trust one another, especially now that everything is virtual? You and I aren't in the same room. We're we're connected through the internet. Most of my team for my job, it's it's dispersed across the United States. So I'm on a screen like this. When we're building relationships, when I'm doing workshops now, they don't even fly me in half the time. It's like, well, we'll just pop on to Zoom or some other platform. How can we build this trust virtually? And what safeguards are there? Great question. We're working on safeguards. So I'm on the uh, the, the NIST, which is like the National Information Security um, Organization. Uh, is, so the White House is actually getting actively involved now. So they are sponsoring things. Uh, including what we just had at DEF CON, which was the biggest uh, red teaming generative AI challenge uh, that we've ever done in the country. Uh, we had 200 students and a total of 2,000, uh, so another uh, 1,800 um, hackers going in to see if we could, how we can break the generative AI. So ChatGPT is the, is the name brand sort of in the space. But we were given several different AIs. They were all code names, so we didn't know which one we were using at the time. And to determine how could we bust through these um, these guardrails that we have started to set up. Um, good news, bad news is um, some of us were very successful in busting through the guardrails. So that's the bad news. The good news is with a red team operation, that's basically the the ethical hackers, the white hat hackers that are hired by the companies or organizations, in this case, by the White House, to say, we want you to find the flaws and the holes in the system before our enemies find the flaws and the holes in the system. So I'm a problem solver, right? I look at problems as a good thing. It means we are aware of them, we know that they're there, and we can start working on um, on solutions for them. So uh, the AIs now are not supposed to, you know, Red misinformation. They're not supposed to help you do bad things. There are definitely more guardrails in place than, you know, before it's it, but it is very much the wild, wild west. And the one key difference, the really big important thing to remember is that this is, if ever there was a situation of the genies out of the bottle on a global level where we're all in this together, like the bad guys, the bad actors, the what we call the black hat hackers have access to this technology and they are not following the rules. And this technology actually allows people without, you know, I have a master's of science in information systems and cyber, like, so I know how to program machines, but you don't. Um, and with some of these AIs, and I'm not going to give too many specifics right now, um, people can actually use the AI to help them build the, the, the machines or the algorithms um, the programs to do bad things. And with generative AI, it can kind of think on its own. It can do, you know, enough like reasoning and logic um, that the programmers have taught it. So generative AI was is still made by human, um, but the humans can do either very good things with that or very bad things with that. And so even though we are putting up guardrails and um, there are still things like literally your family and your, you know, your your inner circle. You should have a safe word where if you're like, and for most people, this isn't going to affect them. Most people will be caught up in like big, uh, big fishing or fishing, you know, big scam attempts. Very few people would be directly targeted, um, which is good because the the truth is if you're directly targeted right now by a hacker, they will get in. And I don't care if you're the if you're a nation state. 
If you're, you know, Will Rucker, if you're an organization, if you're one of the biggest businesses, if you're the electric grid, like the hackers, there's just too many ways to get in now, especially with the human that, you know, the human side. Um, so there are there are measures to put in place. Having a safe word, um, you know, uh, some people put watermarks, but all those things can be replicated. So, you know, some of it is just stay one step ahead, stay creative, change it up. Uh, Others is to, you know, when you start a conversation, your new thing could be, let me just really check in with you, like on a human level, you know, how are you doing and talk about some things that AI, you know, wouldn't know. Um, but I love that, that Lisa. So the check-in, yeah. because that's something that we do as a culture within Compassion Las Vegas. And I do, I think that that's one way to safeguard in a sense on these everyday interactions. And I wonder, because you mentioned, of course, having that safe word, I've I've gone through and I've programmed my chat GPT to know me. I, it, it, it knows my CV. It knows my perspective on the latest political issues. And so I'm going to actually try this. I'm going to ask it to generate what my safe word would be and see if it would pick or get close. Because I, I think that it possibly could and I want to go back like a little bit and, and excuse me for being like super excited. I'm throwing a lot at you because this topic is is one where this isn't the the mild Zen will. This is like the, okay, we got to talk about this. But I watched the movie Terminator. I saw it. I watched iRobot. The list goes on. And the reality is the way that we are treating each other, the financial inequity, the the way that we are stealing people's wages through wage theft, I guess that's redundant, but you get what I'm saying. <laughs> like all of these things, the the uh, military tactics we've come up with, being able to to destroy the grid, like all of these things, to me, if I'm a logical, reasonable, programmed machine that says do what's best for the humans, the best things for the humans is to really like do what the iRobot movies do. Take care of us. Like, you're going to go sit in your room and we're going to make sure you don't go in. Until we can behave better, right? Yeah. yeah. It's a little more of a, I see it as the uh, Thanos was right. Yeah. <laughs> that, you know, um, because yeah, we, we are behaving badly as humans. We're not taking care of our planet. We're not taking care of each other. Uh, we have let, lost our way, I think. And um, I think that the technology is really going to be able to help us with that, because if you think about the good sides, so we've been talking a lot about the, the scary, dark side. If you think about the good side of this, we don't have to send people into war anymore. Um, and at some point, it's going to be like, why? You know, I, I think that it can really help. They, they say that cyber is the fifth act of war. So it's definitely, you know, and, and we are as a nation and as a world working on cyber forces, if you will. Um, and this needs to be done globally, internationally, because cyber doesn't know any national, you know, boundaries. Um, so we can also be using what we got wrong with the last wave of technology is that we use the technological advances to pile more on the humans and say, now, essentially, we expect you to be on call 24-7. And, you know, it used to be, um, to give an example, the service industry, um, there's a lot of, there's research out now showing that so several years ago, they said, hey, you can save money in your business model by only staffing to your capacity 
Um, and so just wait until the week of before you put out schedules for people to work. So that wouldn't have happened in the past because people had to physically be at work to get their schedule and know when to come in. And they, they wouldn't have had the technology to know exactly how many people are showing up to this hotel on this day or whatever. So what seemed like a good idea with technology at the time and that like rolled out through the hospitality industry because this is what the research said. Well, 10 years later, now what the research is showing is that that is like entrapping and enslaving uh, people in the service industry to where they never, they're literally on call 24 seven and they're paid minimum wage and sometimes, you know, still the 213 an hour in some states. So um, there are, we, we have to start using, and this is where we can't be afraid of the technology or of the AI. This is where I'm very much of the school of thought. We need to fight fire with fire here and say, how can we create our own digital twins? Like you were talking about earlier. We're like, yeah, I don't want to have to fly to, you know, well, I would want to fly to New Zealand, let's be honest. But I mean, too, I would, yeah. right. so maybe I would have want to fly, you know, around the world all the time. And I could send my digital twin out to do that. Or for the talks that are webinar, and it's kind of the same talk, essentially, that we do a lot. Like, yes, a, an AI, a digital twin would be awesome to be able to use in that way. Um, I use, to your point of your AI knows you so well, so does mine. Like, not only on a business level, um, but on a personal level, it does like meal planning for me. It knows that I'm mainly vegetarian, you know, like it, it worked with the budget. Like it's, it's amazing to be able to unload a lot of the mental load to the AI. So these are autonomous tasks. So we used to talk about robots um, taking over jobs that were, were dull, dirty, or dangerous, right? And AI is taking over that, that, that dull, that like autonomous, uh, those, those tasks that we do that like we literally hypnotize ourselves during them. That's what the psychology shows. That's what the brain science shows, including driving to work, right? So the research shows that autonomous driverless cars are more safe on the roads, but the humans aren't ready to give up that, that power and control just yet. So, um, you know, if we made this available to everyone, if everyone could have a digital twin, for example, on their inbox, Going back to one of your questions earlier, um, humans, again, we can't tell if it's if it's scammy or not anymore. So having an AI, having my AI uh, be like, remember Clippy and the Microsoft Basics? Yes, yeah. And I'd say, hey, do you need help with this? But the AI literally went through my inbox before I even, if, if it went through my AI before it even got to where my eyeballs would see it, the AI would know immediately what every scam was because they all sort of talked to each other. Um, it could also review uh, emails for me and and start drafts of response. I could train my AI to say, hey, if I get an email from Will, I want you to look into the last three conversations we had and um, just kind of bring me up to speed so that and 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 suggest a draft of a response to him, um, which can you imagine how much time that would save? Plus, it it makes us more safe online and, and with our machines and devices. Um, we would still have the final say to say, oh, no, I'm going to. So, you know, it's just the first draft or whatever. You come in and say, this is the way that I'm going to change it and send it. So. But again, you know, good with the bad on on every side. So the the best thing that we can do, and I think this is where those of us who already practice compassion, we are light years ahead in the AI game and in terms of being safe and safeguarding what we call our cognitive security. Right. Mm -hmm. So. Just like we're trying to, just like we put up boundaries and alarms and, uh, 
you know, like like the spam filter, even on our on our inbox, like we need to have that cognitive security around our brains and our thinking to make sure that we're not making a mistake. And this is where humans get tired. We get worn down. Um, we make mistakes. And the AI, if we're not safeguarding with, a, a, you know, an equal and opposite reaction and to, to bring physics to the table, um, we will have problems. And so embracing this technology is and understanding it and knowing like, well, when you said it knows your CV, so just some, some tips, don't put your name whenever you're using your AI, don't put any real names in there. Don't put business names in there. If you're um, entering your CV, uh, which I do suggest doing, do it without your name um, or create a, um, an alter um, ego name for yourself. And then you can just do a find replace on, you know, what you're, what you're actually putting out into the world. Because the other thing we need to consider is that we don't know, you know, with, with ChatGPT, for example, you're giving your data to OpenAI, right, to that company that is co-owned by Elon Musk, by the way. Um, so despite him saying, hey, I want to put a moratorium on all this AI, that's because his company was already out there and the front runner and he could slow down all the competition, um, yet letting the bad guys get light years ahead of us. So like stopping it is the worst thing we can do. That just that just stretches, you know, the divide. Um, so don't put any names on, don't put obviously addresses, phone numbers, uh, any, any personally identifying information for you or the organizations that you work for. Um, you know, use, bring common sense into play and apply that critical thinking, which I, people, if they are practicing compassion, you have to be thinking critically because you're thinking, what happens next? What if I don't help here? What would happen if I just walk past this person on the street who is clearly struggling and, you know, and I know how everybody else sees them, what will happen next? You know, so those that are practicing compassion, just like you got to be on your toes, though, at all times when you're online now, not only you, but your children. Um, remember that everyone is vulnerable. Everyone is a target. And having these conversations and really digging in to understand, you know, so the people that are like, oh, I don't understand that stuff. I don't even want to know. It's like that scares me. You know, knowledge is power and we all have access to this. It's free. Um, so we want to be using it. Be careful about putting your images in. I know there's a thing that is like um, professional headshots. And I'm like, oh, I would love to do that because I don't know about you, but I, I'm not. I, the, the headshots thing, they just never look natural or normal. But the way you do it is, you know, input 10 pictures of you right now. Well, who owns that? that app that you're putting your images into and then could they create a digital twin of you without your knowledge so you know just use that critical thinking in terms of like this is really cool but is this a toy that i should be playing with you know or so i should be so with. much more that we can get into but we are out of time <laughs> will you stick around and we'll do a part two for this you would love to and well maybe we should open it up and just have like a q a like an ask me anything um, if listeners want to uh, send anything in, I mean, I would love to be able to help educate uh, in this around this very important uh, and critical mission critical topic, I think. Awesome. Well, stay tuned more with Lisa Flynn next time on Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast. I'm Will Rucker. And as I always remind you, you are not just a drop in the ocean. You are the entire ocean in a drop and what you do matters. So live compassionately. I'll see you next week. 